Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey there, I'm Grant Wall. Welcome to the Planet Football Podcast. This week's interview guest is former SI writer Review Bird, who's now moving up the coaching ranks. He's an assistant coach for Sounders under 23s and a youth coach for the Kitsap Alliance in the Pacific Northwest. While we've got you, make sure to check out Planet Football TV, SI's weekly soccer video series that I co-host with Luis Miguel Echegaray. We've got good interviews, healthy debate, and thoughtful opinions on the game we all love. That's Planet Football TV. Onward. Let's bring in Levy Bird, former SI writer covering soccer who has gone on to much bigger and better things as a soccer coach. Levy, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Grant. Thanks for having me. It's good to be back. It is good to be back because you were a big part of our soccer coverage for several years and... Uh, made our site better, and obviously I was bummed out when you left for for us, but have been excited to follow your career in the coaching ranks as you've been moving forward with that. And that's what I want to do with this podcast, in part because you developed uh, a really uh, loyal readership, I think, uh, during your time at SI, and and, uh, covered things that some of the rest of us who cover soccer aren't as equipped to do, like you know, really deep dive tactical breakdowns of the best teams in the world. Uh, you looked into some things that I thought were were really interesting uh, in in youth soccer in the development area. Um, stories that you followed over time on training compensation and uh, lawsuits and all that sort of thing. So. Um, I guess first off, I mean, the first the first question I would have is for our readers who ask, what happened to that guy? So what happened to that guy? <laughs> yeah, it's um, it, it's something that I had been kind of kicking around for a while in my head. And it's, you know, when I when I started writing at SI, I, I nev- never had the intention of leaving, to be honest with you. I, I loved it. And it was it was great. And then after a while, I kind of, you know, having played not at the highest level, but I played in college and I played a little bit after that. And um, I, I always I always loved being on the field. And then I got the the opportunity to become an assistant coach with the Kitsap Pumas up here who 
sadly the club no longer exists. Um, and eventually I went on to be the head coach there, but, um, but so I got that opportunity. And at the same time I had a youth club in the area that was asking me if I wanted to coach two teams and I accepted. And then eventually I was, was kind of doing two full-time jobs at the same time. And it was, it was stressing me out like crazy. Um, and I was basically trying to decide what I could do for my own sanity. And, and, uh, you know, when it came down to it, the decision was, well, do I want to be on the field every day or do I want to be writing about people who are on the field every day? And uh, when, when I broke it down like that in my brain, honestly, it was, it was kind of, kind of an easy choice. Um, like I said, I always, always really loved being on the field. And, um, so that, that was it. I mean, it was, it was kind of the decision and, um, you know, just ever since then I've been coaching full time. Well, I want to get into sort of the specifics of, if you're a young person and, and you're a young guy, I mean, you were at SI in, in your early to mid 20s, if I remember correctly. Um, you know, how do you go about that process? Because uh, there's not a ton of people who've done that, certainly not people who were former journalists. And so I, I think it'd be interesting to get into how you've gone about it, both from a day to day work perspective, but also coaching licenses, things like that. Yeah, I kind of, so I started my coaching licenses back when I was a youth player. I feel like a lot of players while they're playing are encouraged to do it, um, partly because it's, it's a pretty intensive process in terms of um, you're playing, you're you're in the classroom, and it's it's you're doing a lot of things, and, and the older you get, the more difficult it becomes, I think. So um, I took my first coaching course when I was 17, I think, wow. maybe it was 16. And then I sort of put that on hold until college, and then I started kind of going through it again. But um, from a day-to-day perspective, it's right now, um, you know, the Sounders U23s that you mentioned, we play in the summer, so that's uh, that season's not going on. Uh, so it's just youth right now. So I, I you know, for, for the best part of my day, actually, I'm, I, I'm a dad, so I, I take care of my, my two-year-old daughter at home all day, and then I'll go to training in the evening, Um and and just kind of progresses that way day to day and then on the weekends we have games uh, when when the summer hits that's when it always gets interesting because i have the the u23s and then i've got my youth teams as well and and this summer was crazy because i was doing uh, the sounders u23s i was coaching three youth teams at the time and i also was doing my uh starting my uefa a license and doing my ussfb license so wow. i was I had a lot of things going on not a lot of sleeping a lot of traveling um so it's, I don't know if there really is a day to day, but it's, um, I get a lot of time to, to, to plan training, to, to run sessions, to be on the field, to, to think about soccer and to, to watch, you know, to watch high level football on, on TV and stuff like that. So it's, um, it's good. I mean, I, I love it. Can't complain at all. So what sort of, I guess, answer would you have when, someone asks you about your soccer philosophy as a coach, how you want your teams to play, whether it's youth, whether it's older, how do you answer that? Yeah, I, my, so every coach I think has an ideal sort of philosophy and, and you, you kind of, you mold it to the players that you have. So for me, um, you know, it's, it's possession based. There's uh it's a positional game model. So, um, 
Position, possession, and pressure are the three Ps I would use. I know it's the, the famous three Ps that Barcelona use. I actually wrote about that at one point. But um, but it's it's basically, it comes from uh, you know the ultimate goal of, of winning games by uh, dominating opponents through kind of ball retention and intelligent pressure. So uh, the ideas are kind of taken from the philosophy of, of juego de posición or positional play, uh, Spanish philosophy, and, and at the highest level it's... Uh, biggest proponent is Pep Guardiola, uh, but that's kind of the my philosophy kind of stems from that. Okay, and let's go through a little bit of your experience at Kitsap Pumas because you were a part of U.S. Open Cup upsets, um, and and I remember being a very big part of a couple. Uh, what was your experience in those things? Yeah, the Open Cup is uh, that's still the highlight of my career. So I was actually that first summer, my first year coaching, when I took the job with the Pumas as an assistant coach. Um, we played a, a local game here. We beat the Sounders U23s in the in the second round. We got a bye in the first round, so we beat them in the second round, and then in the third round that got us a trip to Sacramento to play against the Republic the year after they won the USL Western Conference, and you know everyone was talking about. You know, that was when the, the hashtag built for MLS was, was big with them. So, you know, we went down there thinking, well, this will be a fun experience um, and, and you never know what might happen. So we'll give them a game. Um, I went through, you know, similar process to what you were talking about with the, the kind of the tactical analysis I used to write. I just did a really detailed sort of report on, on the Republic and, and went through and said, here's here's what they do. Here are their strengths, here are their weaknesses. Here's where we might be able to, to get at them. And uh, we ended up winning three to one. It was a, it was a crazy game. All four goals in the game were scored in a five minute span between like the 60th and the 65th minute. And uh, two, maybe all three of the goals actually came directly from ways that I said that we could hurt them. So it, it was a good feeling. You know, it was, uh, it was good to see the the work that that you do that actually contributes to an end product. Something you know, tangible on the field. Um, it was great. And then the next round we, we played the Sounders first team and, um, actually did pretty well. It was nil nil until about the 70th minute. I want to say we had a, a golden opportunity to score in the third minute of the game. I always wonder what would have happened if we'd scored that goal. But, um, but yeah, we, we ended up losing two nil, but it was actually a much closer game than, than I think most people expected. And then gets at Pumas folds, uh, which is obviously depressing and something that happens occasionally on the U.S. soccer scene. How did you then sort of transition to Sounders under 23s? Yeah, the, the, the Pumas were great. So, I mean, I, if, you know, just take a quick step back. I started with them as a training player when I was 18 years old. So I was not even on the roster. I was just training with them. Um, eventually, I graduated college. I played a season for them. I was an assistant coach. I finished as the head coach. I mean, that, that club really was was big for me. I started uh, as a, a kid who had no idea, and then um, you know by the end of it, I was, I was leading the whole thing. So that was that was fun. Um, so that you know, you develop these relationships as as you go through the process. And one of the people who I was close with was uh, Darren Sawatsky, who was the Sounders U23 head coach at the time. He's now coaching FC Tucson in, in USL League One. And the idea, he was one of the first people I called when, when it was official that the Pumas were going to fold because we we always talked and we'd had these these great um, meetings and conversations. And 
and great arguments as you have when it comes to, to soccer. And, um, and so we, you know, we had kind of had this idea that we, we should try to work together at some point. So he was like, yeah, I want to bring you on. And then a couple months later, got the job in Tucson. So that went away. But the guy who ended up taking the job, uh, Jason Prenovo is his name. He uh, was my first college coach at Highline Community College back in hmm. 2008, 2009. So I'm still got, got brought in and, uh, as an assistant coach on, on the Sounders U23 staff. Okay. And so far, what has your experience been like with the Sounders uh, it's U23s? Been, it's been great. Um, you know, working with, with top-level players, it's – it's really similar to, to the way that the, it was with the Pumas in that we, you know, we're, we're trying to help players move on to the next level. So we bring in um, with, this, with the U23s, it's, it's almost entirely college players. There's a rule in, in USL League 2 that you can have um, up to eight players over 23 on your roster. It's, it's really meant to be an under 23 league. And this year we only had one. And uh, so, I mean, we, we did, it's, it was a younger team than, than we usually have, but at the same time, I think it really does go toward the, the philosophy of, of development that, you know, we're trying to bring players in and move them on and help them kind of understand what it takes to, to be a professional and to play with other players who are trying to do the same thing and, and to put them in an environment where now suddenly you're not the best player on your team, which a lot of these guys are in their college environments. Now you're one of, several and you need to figure out how are you going to make yourself stand out again it's just, you know another step up the ladder so it's it's been great I, I really enjoy working with the players um you know the it can be interesting because because of the lower leagues it, you know it can be interesting to travel and and dealing with some of the the day-to-day -day things but it's uh, it's all part of the experience all part of the process and it's it, it's a really short intense season but it's three months that I really enjoy every year. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. So I want to ask you some details about the coaching license process, but my first question is pretty general, which is why are there coaching licenses in the sport of <laughs> soccer when there aren't in, say, basketball? It's, it's a great question, and it's one that I continuously ask myself and ask everybody around me as well is, is that you know, you realize this is this is a really odd sort of thing to do that no other sport has this. So, um, I, I I don't know. I mean, the cynic the cynic in me wants to say it's so that federations can make money. Um, <laughs> the uh, you know the, the the more football romantic in me says, well, it's a chance for development to network and to to you know learn and all that stuff. And and honestly, the the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle of both. I think if uh, you know, if FIFA for some reason mandated every coaching license has to be free, I think suddenly you would see a lot fewer of them. But at the same time, um, I think, you know, there, there's, uh, there, there's something to the process of you go into a room with a bunch of like-minded people and you're, you're learning from each other, you're bouncing ideas off each other, you're, you're challenging each other in the best environments anyway. In the worst environments, it can be, you know, just get through it and get me that stupid piece of paper. 
Um, but you know, ideally it's, it's an area where you can, you can really learn and you can question some of your, your beliefs and question your kind of your philosophy. And is this truly what I believe is, is it correct? You know, um, it it should be a good environment, but yeah, I mean, (laughs) ultimately who knows? I I honestly don't know why they exist and (laughs) I can wonder why. Um, and I, I have conversations with, you know, people like, like Bob Bradley, who always, we talk about, and he goes, you know what, sometimes you just, you do the license to get the license and that's it. You know, it's sometimes that that's all there is to it. But, um, you know, ideally there is more to it as well. Well, you've gotten licenses from UEFA and from us soccer. Could you lead me through what those experiences have actually been like, where you've done them, how long it takes, what you have to do? Yeah, so it's it's really interesting. So UEFA has the most recognized coaching licenses and pathway in the world. So I think that's why I decided to go that route. Is if I wanted to coach anywhere, you know, if I had a UEFA A license, that would mean a little bit more outside the U.S. than than a U.S. Soccer A license. Mm-hmm. Um, so right now, I'm just finishing up my my U.S. Soccer B license, and I'm in the process of doing my UEFA A license. So I'm you know, to give people kind of an idea of where I am on the on the spectrum. Um, it's, so it's really interesting. I feel like with both, I've gotten a really sort of well-rounded coaching education. Mm-hmm. Um, the U S soccer licenses in terms of the off field stuff, uh, the newer, the higher level, newer licenses, they talk a lot about periodization, leadership, um, a lot of the things that surround coaching, not just coaching and being on the field itself. Obviously there are elements of coaching training sessions and games as well. Whereas the, the UEFA licenses, which I've, I've been doing in Northern Ireland, hmm. um, is really heavily focused on the field and really detailed and really um, because it's it's not the only thing. There are other things around it, but it's it's a really heavy emphasis on the field that it's like I said, I feel like it's really well rounded for me personally, because the UEFA license is really heavy on the field, really detailed. And then with the U.S. soccer licenses, there's a lot more um, of what surrounds it. And if you think about uh, the differences between um, American, not just not just football, but sports in general. So you get, um, you know, the the American sort of style. We have a lot of resources here off the field and, and a lot of high level people in, in a lot of different areas that can really contribute to um, creating well-rounded coaches and leaders in general, not just sports, but, but um, you know, off the field as well. And then you think about the European game and um, you know, they're, they're really, I think far ahead of where the U S is in terms of the on field quality, top to bottom. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's really interesting to get sort of the, uh, the mix of the two. So why Northern Ireland and how many times have you had to visit? Yeah, I, I started, I wanted to get my UEFA licenses and I just sort of asked some people who I knew had UEFA licenses in North America. Um, where did you go? What did you do? What was it like? How can, you know, can I do it? And uh, it sort of all all, ro- all all roads led to Belfast in this regard, which is kind of interesting. Um, a lot of people have gone to Northern Ireland to do these licenses, and um, my courses are full of international candidates, which is really interesting. Huh. Um, it's usually half and half. They have a, a certain percentage that they have to have of local um, candidates, so there's a lot of Northern Irish um, candidates as well, which is great, but um, a lot of... Americans, Canadians, um, people from like South Africa. I had a couple of people from the Aspire Academy in Qatar. Mm-hmm. Um, really, just everywhere. 
So I started the B license in 2016. That was two, two meetings over two years. So you go for a week, um, you do a bunch of work in between, you go for another week, you do more work, and then you get your license. So it's kind of, uh, it's an intensive course. So it's seven to 10 days at a time when you go, and it's usually over the summer. Um, and so two meetings for the, the B license, two meetings for the A license. Um, so I guess next summer when I go for my second, the A part two, that'll be my fourth trip in the last four years. So basically a trip every year. Okay. And I know there's a UEFA pro license. Is that something you're interested in? Yeah, it's something I'm interested in for sure. The, the challenge there is the, it becomes much more exclusive in that it's a smaller group of candidates, usually no more than about 20 in every class. A certain percentage, again, has to be local coaches. So no matter what federation you try to go through, they have to reserve a certain percentage for coaches from their country. Um, and then you're, you're competing against people who are, com- are coaching at the professional level, at the very top levels of the game. So um, I probably will have to wait a little while and see if I can uh, climb the ladder a little bit more before I, before I try that. But it is, it is something that that would be kind of the, the cherry on top. That's you know, the highest license. So that's definitely something I'm interested in. If, I feel like if you start going down the pathway, there's no reason not to finish it. And how much do these license courses cost? Um, it's, so you pay for, for flights and stuff like that. Um, the U S soccer ones are, I'm trying to remember it's all told the, the whole license itself, regardless of whether it's USSF or UEFA, I've actually found the, the prices to be somewhat comparable somewhere between five and $6,000, okay. uh, including flights and the license itself and, and everything. And a lot of, a lot of people will get their clubs to cover them. So a lot of the youth coaches will have, okay. they'll have uh, coaching education sort of stipends or, or whatever it is um, that their clubs will help them pay for it. Um, that usually the way it works is, you know, Oh, we'll pay this license for you. If you sign a two year, three year commitment to this club. So you can't leave and go coach somewhere else after they've paid for you to get your license. And I've, always liked the idea that I can leave whenever I want to. So I've never agreed to that. So I just pay for everything myself. Okay. And in all your experiences so far in these licenses, have have you changed any kind of fundamental thoughts you had on the game? Absolutely. Um, I don't, I don't know if the underlying fundamental principles that I've, I've always believed about the game have changed, but the way that I sort of, uh, how do I put this? The way that you go about transmitting that to your players definitely changes. The way that you think about uh, the implications of your philosophy changes. So, um, you know, to, to, to take a, a vague buzzword, if you think, all right, I, I have a possession-based philosophy. I want my team to keep the ball. Okay, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? What happens when you get pressed? What happens in this area of the field, this area of the field, this area of the field? You know, I think the thing that it's really helped me do is it's helped me really conceptualize what my game model will look like um, in all phases of attack, all phases of defending, transition, whether you're in defensive third, middle third, attacking third, um, just all the details that go within it. So I don't know if it has changed. The very first ones I'm sure did change my fundamental, some of my fundamental beliefs about the way I see the game. But then the later coaching licenses, the, the higher level ones, I think 
mostly changed the details of the way that you think about um, the game. And all the courses that I've taken, nobody's really given me the answers in terms of like, here is what you need to believe about the game because of this. I mean, there are certain, you know, there's a big um, emphasis and, and all the, you know, for example, um, in Northern Ireland, a lot of the example sessions that they, the coaching instructors will put on, they're still using a 4-4-2. And if you look at the national team, you know, they're the Northern Ireland national team. They're very much 4-4-2, hard nose. You know, it's a cultural thing, too. So um, but they've never once told me this is what you have to do. This is what you have to believe. The opposite, actually, the first day of the B course, they brought us into a room and said, look, guys, we don't have all the answers and we won't even pretend to have all the answers. So we're going to teach you the way that we're going to teach you. And if you have something else that you believe and you can back it up and, and it makes sense, then it's it's all good with us. The the way our instructor always puts it is if it looks like football and it is football, then it's all good. <laughs> if it doesn't look like football, then we'll have a different conversation. You mentioned Bob Bradley earlier. How much has he uh, helped you? Uh, over time just uh, in terms of advice or anything else? Bob, Bob has been been great to me, and I'm, I'm always surprised that he continues to give me the time of day, let alone um, the conversations that we've had. So it was actually when I was writing for Sports Illustrated, I wrote, I honestly can't even remember what it was. I wrote something, and uh, and he emailed me, and we started talking about it. He just wanted to talk about um, what I had written, and he wanted to to challenge me a little bit and to see how I responded. And, and ever since then, I mean, we, we've always just kept in touch and, you know, he's always, he's always good to, to ask you, well, why do you believe this? And, you know, and sometimes even more bluntly just tell you, Hey, I think that's crap or whatever. <laughs> um, but Bob has been, been really good, good to me. Um, I, last summer I went out and, and watched a couple of training sessions. I went to a game, um, whenever we're in the same city, we, we try to get together and talk and, and find a way to connect. And, um, and I don't know, like, like I said, I, I tell him all the time. I'm like, look, man, I, I really don't understand why you even continue to give me the time of day, but I really appreciate it. And it's, uh, it's been a really good, really helpful relationship for me just in terms of getting ideas and, um, you know, understanding what the game looks like at the top level and, and having those conversations with somebody who's, who's been there and who's done the things that I want to do. So, um, like I said, I, I was surprised when he reached out to me the first time and, and every time I, every time I hear from him, I'm, I'm still a little bit surprised. So <laughs> <laughs> I think it's pretty cool. Um, is there, are there other people in the soccer community, the coaching community who, uh, have been helpful? Yeah, absolutely. So I, um, you know, being in the Pacific Northwest, I, I got to see a lot of the teams up here in terms of uh, Vancouver, Seattle, and Portland. And that was when Caleb Porter was coaching the Timbers. And he similarly, we, we'd spoke a bit about the game and just about different things. And, and Caleb's been really good to me in terms of um, still having those conversations. And, um, and now that he's in Columbus, our, our contact isn't quite as frequent. But, um, but when we do, when we do talk, it's usually, you know, it's, it's positive. Um, and uh, it's like I said, same same thing. It's it's been really really helpful. Darren Sawatsky, who I mentioned earlier, who is a former MLS player himself, has been really helpful and um, always uh, always willing to to listen to my my dilemmas and to help me out with some advice. Um, yeah, it's just been. I worked with Roy Lasseter for for a year with the Kitsap Pumas. That was that was really fun. He was uh, he's he's a really interesting coach in terms of his philosophy and. 
Um, and his story, just his, his overall life story yeah. has, is really interesting. So, um, there's been a lot of people and it's, it, they always say that it's a small world and, and the football community is actually really small. And it's, it's like the whole seven degrees of separation thing. You always know somebody who knows somebody. And, um, this year on the, the UEFA A license, I've, I've gotten to meet, um, people like, uh, Bruno, who was, uh, Brighton's captain until he retired. Now he's on their coaching staff. Mm-hmm. Um, big Chris Samba is on our course. Um, just, just other uh, who else? Gabriel like Bon Lahore, Luis Garcia. Huh. Um, a lot of really interesting people that I've had the the pleasure of meeting. And um, I, honestly, I think uh, I think writing at Sports Illustrated helped me with that because it was not like, uh, oh wow, look, it's it's so and so because I, I was so used to kind of interviewing people and having that. Um, having that sort of background just from, from being a journalist. So I have never really been starstruck, so to speak. Mm-hmm. It's more of like, uh, I've always been able to keep it pretty professional, even though I'll walk away sometimes and go like, wow, that was pretty cool. <laughs> so I'm curious to know who you think coaching wise in the game right now is doing some of the most interesting cutting edge stuff. I mean, the, the name for me, in terms of cutting edge and innovation and everything is Pep Guardiola ever since the start of his career has been the guy like uh, I've I've gone back and studied you know his teams from 2009 in Barcelona 2010 all the way through this year um the things that he does are are ridiculous I mean there's no other word for it he comes up with these solutions and he does things that at the time people are going, what are you doing? And then two years later, everybody else is trying to copy it. So, um, I think, uh, if there's no coach that I've studied more in depth, there's nobody who I, um, honestly, nobody who I admire more in terms of the, the way his teams play and his philosophy and, um, the, the things that he does and the things that he says, I'll, you know, watch his press conferences and he'll give an answer to some question. And the, the, the way that he coaches just speaks to me more than anybody else that I've seen at that very top level. And, um, I don't know if it sounds cheesy to say it, right. But it just, it does. It's, it's the only way that I can describe it. It's, um, you know, the coaches have to convince players. They have to, I think the word that Pep himself used once is it's not convincing. It's more seducing. You have to seduce the players and you have to make them believe that what you're telling them is the, the way. And, uh, from afar, he's managed to do that to me. So that's, it's impressive. What right now is he doing like lately that stands out to you? So the, the biggest change for me, and you and I have spoken a little bit about this, the biggest change for me over the last few months has been the, the new laws of the game in terms of the goal kicks and mm-hmm. how that's changed the way teams play out from the back. Um, obviously last Saturday with Norwich, that a little bit of a, a little bit of a mistake with, uh, with Otamendi getting his pocket picked and, and, and Norwich scoring. But, um, just watching the, the different structures and the way that he builds out of the back specifically, the, um, if you look at the, the games against Liverpool, so last year, the, the first, first year when, um, Klopp was there and they went to, went to Anfield and, um, you know, just, just got overrun. And, uh, it was the, the champions league year when, uh, when they, they scored, what was it? Three goals in, in yeah. 10 minutes and it, it was over, right? It, that was it. It was done. And then seeing the way that he adjusted for that and the way that he's kind of um, adjusted for the way that different teams pressure, the way that different teams play. England is one of the most diverse 
places, the, the Premier League, in terms of style of play. Because you got these teams like Man City that will try to keep the ball. you got teams that will press high and, and like Liverpool. you got teams that will still hit the long ball into the channels and will try to play off the second ball. It's traditional, what you would call English football. Uh, there's just so many different ways. And just to see the, the different ways that he's adjusted to that. This past year... You know, when, when Liverpool went to uh, went to the Etihad and in January, that game was one of the best that I've seen in a long time in terms of uh, just finding different solutions. All right, well, you want to clog the middle, we'll go out wide. Okay, you're going to pull out wide now, we're going to go through the middle. Okay, now you're going to push numbers forward, we'll go, because Ederson has the, the distribution range of no other, other, no other goalkeeper on the planet has a similar range as he does. So I'll just hit a 90-yard pass with a one-step run-up like it's nothing, and it's... Just seeing the different solutions is is really interesting to me, and I've I can watch the same game five times and still find something new. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on this as a Guardiola guy who coaches in America. I mean, we've had a little bit of this discussion somewhat recently with Greg Berhalter wanting his guys to play out of the back against Mexico and sticking with that and just having that not work at all and questions about whether the U S even at the senior national team has the players to play the way Greg Berhalter wants. Does America have the players in your opinion to play a Guardiola style? Yes, we definitely do. I I have seen it and I've done it at youth levels and even uh, to a limited degree at the, I guess you call it semi-professional, whatever you want to call the, the USL League Two slash NPSL level. It's not that we don't have the players. It's not that um, they they don't understand, or they don't want to do it, or they're not capable of doing it. It's how is it framed? So again, if you look at look at the way that that city builds out of the back, if they are being pressured by four and five players, you're not going to play try to play endless combinations between your center backs, your six and your goalkeeper. You're going to get the ball up the field a little bit faster. Now playing out from the back, I think it has this, this sort of connotation now that it means you play it short. Every time you play a five yard pass, that player plays a five yard pass. And it's not that the, the purpose, and I, I go over this with my, my under 19 boys all the time. Why do you play out from the back? Well, to draw players in so you can create space in behind and then you can play in behind them. So if you manage to play out and you have the numbers to do it, then what that's going to entice the other team to do is to step forward and to pressure with more numbers. And then you look to play it longer and it creates, there are, there are cases thinking a couple weeks ago in one of my, my U19 games where we tried to play out so many times and we didn't recognize that they were leaving us four V four with our attacking midfielder and our three forwards against their back four. So it's, it's not that, we can't play out from the back. I think part of it is a definition thing. I think it's, it's gotten to be seen as this dogmatic sort of um, you play five, 10 yard passes out of the back, no matter what. And that's how you advance the ball. Um, I think that's part of it. The other part of it is that some coaches and players don't necessarily understand why you play out from the back. It's just, uh, we do this because this is what the cool kids are doing at the highest level. And I, I don't think it's because we don't have the players. And obviously, I'm not privy to, to what's going on in the national team camp, so I can't really speak to how it's being coached there or anything. Um, but generally speaking, from the youth teams that I've seen and the, uh, even the higher-level teams where you get, you get people who say things like, we need to minimize risk and we need to um, 
you know, we, we can't, you don't have the players. We don't have millions of dollars to spend on players to do it. And I think that honestly, all of that is just completely missing the point. So that's, that's the way I see it anyway. So I said earlier, and this is true, we, we miss you at Sports Illustrated. We're very happy that you're uh, doing well in, in your coaching career. Uh, if you were back at SI, what sort of things would you be wanting to write about right now? Oh, man. Um, I haven't given it much thought, to be honest. I, I really liked the, the tactical stuff that, that I did, the, the breakdowns and kind of the different mm-hmm. ideas. Um, I enjoyed uh, – I, I like where it is now in terms of the internet lets you do so many different things. It's not like it uh, used to be where – you know, you had your, your beat writers and your columnists and, and it was in print and you had your one story a day that you did or whatever. Now you can do so many different things. So I really enjoyed doing a lot of different things. I like doing tactical stories. I like doing um, even like match reports and going to live games and, and writing about them. I like doing the more in-depth investigative pieces, if you want to call them that. Um, and even now and then putting out a, a column, a, an opinion piece. I, I like doing all of it. So um, it's hard for me to say, uh, you know, what I would want to be writing about. I still, I definitely have always been drawn to what's going on on the field more than the political or the cultural stuff surrounding it necessarily. Although that's obviously a big part of the game. So I would like to think that I would have found a way to continue to get better and, and maybe find different ways to make those tactical pieces more interesting in terms of visuals or, or whatever it may be. So off the top of my head, that's probably what I would say. Makes sense. Um, In terms of like just looking forward as we wrap up here, like what, how would you like to see the next few years go? It's funny. I, I, my, my big goal was to be the first American to coach in the champions league. And that has very recently (laughs) been squashed. So congratulations to Jesse March, by the way. Um, But no, you know, I, I want to coach at the highest level possible. I, whether that for me ends up being, uh, you know, Champions League or whatever, that would be obviously that's the ultimate goal. I would love to. I think anybody who says they wouldn't love to coach their national team if they're trying to coach the highest level would be lying. I would love to coach the U.S. national team. I would love to, you know, it, it just it depends on what ends up happening. You know, opportunities and um, and and sort of career paths are, you know, they're they're not really describable you can't really say in five years i'm going to be doing this i I find that if you're you know what you're going to be doing next year you're lucky so um i would like to coach at the highest level that i can whatever that ends up looking like or whatever that ends up being well good luck my friend leave you bird thank you so much for joining the podcast yeah thanks for having me again like i said it was really fun to be back Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I want to thank Review Bird as well as producer Brandon Nix and everyone at Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Remember to check out Planet Football TV, SI's weekly soccer video series that I co-host with Luis Miguel Echegaray. We've had some really good interviews, thoughtful debate, lots of opinions on the game we all love. That's Planet Football TV. See you next time.